Good evening, everyone. Our first reading speaks from the Acts of the Apostles. They talk about the times uh, right after Jesus' resurrection, and we see that uh, the apostles are, are being dealt with very severely. Uh, they, they were the chosen ones. They were the ones who had the covenant, and uh, they rejected uh, Jesus. He can't be the Son of God. He cannot be divine, and there's no such thing as a resurrection. Our second reading from John, the beloved apostle, talks about the heavenly world. Talks about, I saw heaven. I saw the people. In particular, he saw the people who were being persecuted because they believed in God. Because they believed in the Son of God. Because they believed in the resurrection. My friends, today is the fourth Sunday of Easter, and it is also known as Good Shepherd Sunday. And in the four and a half years I've been with you, I've spoke about the Good Shepherd often, about the different qualities and the imagery. Uh, and um, so this evening, I want to speak about um, the setting and background of the dialogue from which we uh, read today from John's Gospel. And perhaps, what does it mean for us uh, in this time? In a very beautiful area uh, known as the Temple Precincts. And uh, it is uh, Solomon's Portico. Uh, and has great significance, uh, but tonight we don't have time for me to go into that. Um, and it was during the Jewish celebration of the Feast of Dedication, which we know today by its Hebrew name, Hanukkah. It commemorates the rededication of the temple in 165 B.C. Pagans had uh, uh, taken control and profaned and desecrated their temple. The Jews eventually recovered control of the temple and in celebration of the recovery of it, uh, they lit lights uh, throughout their whole city and within their homes and in the temple. And this was known as the Festival of Lights. And uh, this is where uh, the Jewish people used the menorah. So now you see how the menorah is connected to Hanukkah. And uh, it is during this celebration that Jesus promises the disciples something. He says, I will give you eternal life, and you will not perish. He's assuring them of this. This was a difficult concept for the Jewish people to grasp, for, because for thousands of years, uh, they had very little inkling of such a notion. And it's hard for us, because I'm going to show you in the Old Testament where it's talked about, and yet they didn't want to believe in it. They simply could not conceive that there was something else outside of this world, and even more so, anything about the body. He's going to do what? Raise the body? It doesn't make any sense. That's crazy talk. It's odd, because in later thinking, the Jewish people knew that God was all just. And in this world, they knew that good people often suffered, while wicked people often prospered. That sound familiar? <laughs> hmm. They wondered how this would be reconciled by God. If God is all good, how is he going to reconcile this? If God's justice was to be vindicated, then they came to their thinking, the Jewish authorities and the Pharisees, and the, well, not the, the, the Pharisees did, but the scribes uh, uh, didn't. Uh, they concluded there had to be some kind of afterlife in which God would redress all the wrongs 
by rewarding the good and punishing those who did evil. And this brings me, um, remember, they're having a hard time with this. They're having a hard time with Jesus talking about it. And yet, in the book of wisdom, this is Old Testament for them. It's found in the book of wisdom that God uh, speaks. And it says, for God formed us to be imperishable. The image of his own self in nature made us. And he goes on to say, but by the envy of the devil, meaning all that uh, death entered the world, and all who would ally, ally themselves with him uh, would experience hardship and death. It goes on further to say that the souls of the just are, uh, the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God and there, nothing shall touch them. You see, it's talking about the afterlife in their own Torah. And they're not believing it. No wonder Jesus was so frustrated all the time. <laughs> and he points it out to them. Yeah. In the Book of Wisdom, offers some of the earliest assurances of an afterlife found in Scripture. But still the concept of the resurrection and eternal life remained elusive to many uh, people then as it does now. As a priest, I talk to not only Catholic Christians, but to others. And they struggle with this. The Sadducees, which are religious authorities, they found any talk of the resurrection as ridiculous. Stupidity. Anybody who would even mention such a thing would be ignorant. So they really didn't like Jesus because he talked about it all the time. Jesus dismissed them as not understanding the true spiritual nature of the resurrected body and used scriptures to refute them. He would throw Maccabees at them. He would put uh, the Book of Wisdom at them. He cited most famously from a portion of the Torah considered to be the most sacred of all. And it quoted God's own words and it comes with God talking to Moses. It's found in Exodus 3.6. If you want, I can read it to you. I just want you to know that I'm using the scriptures and I'm not making things up. There it says, God is speaking to Moses. And he says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And those were great patriarchs to the Jews. And since those great patriarchs had been dead for hundreds of years at the time, Jesus argued with the scripture scholars, the people who knew the word of God, because God used present tense, I am, proved that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were alive. Of course, they said, no, 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 they're dead. Even though God said, I am. Their God. Not I was. Not anymore because they're dead. That's not what he said. He said, I am. Many people today, even devout Christians, have difficulty understanding what the resurrection means because we have never experienced a resurrection. People experience death. Parents, loved ones. I'll even go as far as the goldfish. <laughs> I mean, people, you see that and you experience that, but no one has seen 
someone resurrected from the dead. So my friends, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Nature offers some analogies that provide insights about this, but do not remove the mystery. So for you science geeks, listen up. St. Paul uses the image of a seed giving life to a new and different form of existence. He talks about a seed that becomes a flower, but he's using it as an analogy. And if you haven't read this, here we go, let's go back to the scriptures, amen, hallelujah. <laughs> because we've, we will find it uh, there. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 35. But some of you may say, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come back with? They're messing with, by the way, they're messing with St. Paul. That's why they're, and I love St. Paul. You fool, <laughs> which is a bad word in the scriptures. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, St. Paul, shame on you. You're going to get in trouble with Jesus when he comes. You fool, what you sow is not brought back to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel of wheat, perhaps, or of some other kind. But God gives a body as he chooses, and to each of the seeds its own body. He's using scriptures, because uh, uh, that's from a, it's an Old Testament also, but he's trying to put forth um, something that's mysterious to us, and... Um, St. Paul would suggest our mortal bodies are the seed. That's what he's getting at, the seed for a more glorious body that will live one day with God forever. Now, here's where I'm going to go out on a limb. Another example in nature would be, and I was discussing it with the deacon, water beetles. There you go. Father's lost his mind. <laughs> water beetles. They live on the lakes. But eventually, when it comes time for them to die, they crawl out of the lake and onto a twig. They secure themselves to it and then die. Within a relatively short amount of time, I wish I could tell you three days. It would work really well, but it doesn't. <laughs> it don't work. But in a relatively short amount of time, after the heat of the sun dries the shells and it begins to crack... At that point, a dragonfly emerges and flies off, completely different from the water beetle. Probably looking down at the other water beetles, bye-bye, <laughs> see you around. Are you getting this? And then the cute one, I'll put this one out there for the cute one, the caterpillar capable only of crawling on the ground in the dirt, but eventually spins a cocoon, crawls inside, and is transformed ultimately into a beautiful butterfly, capable of flying off into the sunset. I know science calls this metamorphosis. I'm not an idiot, but there's a mystery in that. We accept these marvelous transformations of lesser creatures in nature without any question or difficulty. Why then should we balk at the thought of our bodily resurrection? Now, if God, and this is what 
make some scientists angry when I say this. Now, if God applied his established scientific and mathematical principles, when I talk to scientists and they tell me things, I'm like, I know God said that's the way it is. He talked about God created gravity. Father, Father, and I'm key. It's his mathematical principles. It's his scientific principles. I don't have a problem with it. You guys do. If God applies his scientific and mathematical principles of the universe to the most minute and insignificant, I'm probably going to get emails because I'm calling butterflies insignificant. But if he does this for them, of these insignificant creation, doesn't it make sense to assume that he applied it also to the human soul? We who are made in his image. Why then should we balk at the thought of the resurrection that happens by God's grace and faith in Jesus Christ? So the beetle goes up on a limb and connects itself and waits for the sun to beat on it. The caterpillar goes and spins its cocoon, blah, 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 blah. And that. We have to have God's grace and believe in Jesus Christ. And the transformation will happen for us. But most importantly, should we not accept the resurrection is true and believe it simply because our Lord and Savior told us, in fact, that it is true. I shouldn't even have to point out those kind of analogies. I should just be able to tell you Jesus said so. And you should believe it. Yet Christians don't. And St. Paul says that Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead in vain then do we worship, and truly, we have no hope. But in fact, Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, not only to his apostles, but to 500 people in some stadium. <laughs> Go and read, it's all in the scriptures. <laughs> it's all there. If you believe in the resurrection, you will start living your life now as if you believe it. 